0: had to bring my uh, car into the shop this week, and a guy, you know, service advisor, nice guy, so I invited him to Easter, because that's my policy, I only want nice people at church. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) And uh, seemed interested, he said, you know, I got family coming to town, Um, if they don't show up, uh, I'll come. He said, well, why don't you bring your family? It's a thought. Well, then I go, I need a ride, they got my car. So they're going to give me a ride to the church. I thought, what a perfect opportunity to invite the guy who's giving me a ride to church. Because, you know, he's driving me to church. We get about three quarters of the way here, and I get calls Said, come around. uh, We're going to have your car longer than we thought. We're going to give you a loaner, so no sense in dropping you off. We'll just give you a loaner car. I was the only guy in that little taxi for that little shuttle. I thought, hmm, interesting that uh, God arranged this quick little trip just so I can talk to this man personally and invite him to church. And he seemed kind of interested, too. We had a nice little chat. Then I got there, and unfortunately, it took longer than I expected to get my loaner car. The lady, she was so nice and so apologetic. They brought me my car. My car was dirty. They had to take it back to wash it. Well, while we're waiting, what are you doing on Easter? <laughs> Invited her to church. I'm not usually that bold. I don't go around inviting people to church every day. Though. I wish I was. I'm just not that kind of guy. But it felt kind of good to get to invite three people to church on Easter. I want to encourage you to do the same. All three were appreciative that I asked them. And there's a good chance that they'll be here with their family and friends. I'd like you to do the same. We've made it easy for you. We've got these cool invite cards in the lobby and some Easter invites, too, that kind of are on a sheet this size. Pick those up. You know, it might be a little embarrassing, but it's, it's nice. People really want to be invited to church. And uh, believe it or not, when you invite them, they end up coming. So it's a pretty cool thing. Well, this week, as we were going through our scripture reading, following our annual schedule, which for the newbies, it's out in the lobby or on the website, we read one of the most important passages in the Bible. And I say it's one of the most important passages because, you know, you look at your Bible, and it's big. Let me take mine out of here. I'm sure you've handled one once or twice. But it's got a lot of data in it. I mean, look at this thing. It's, it's a big book. Could you imagine going to school and getting tested on this thing? It's a lot of data in here. And sometimes with an Old Testament and a New Testament and an epistle and an apostle and a prophet, it gets a little hard to kind of wade your way through this thing. It gets a little confusing for some people. Even back before they had the New Testament, when they just had the Old Testament, people tried to understand it, and there was a lot of data in there. The reason this week we read what I say is one of the most important passages in the Bible is because basically Jesus just summarized the whole thing and said, What's really the heart of it? What are the Cliffs' notes? How do you sum up the Bible? Here's what happened in Matthew 22, Jesus had just silenced the Sadducees, and the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in biblical law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he's saying is love is the lens by which we're supposed to look at the Bible. If you use love as your lens, you're going to understand it, you're going to work through it right, and you're going to apply it with a proper perspective and balance. In fact, it's not just the lens you look at the Bible, it's the lens at which you look through life. If you look through the lens of love, you're going to live your life right. And if you don't, you won't. So it's very simple. He just summarizes it. Notice he says the two greatest commandments, neither of which come from the Ten Commandments goes to show you that our sense of priority and our sense of emphasis is not necessarily God's. In fact, it's not. God makes it quite clear. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. So I'm going to answer three questions for you this morning. What is love? How do I love my neighbor as myself? And how do I love God? And by the time you go home this morning, if anybody should come up and ask you, what's love? You're going to be able to tell them. And if you tell them, if they ask you what's the most important part of the Bible, you're going to be able to tell them and how to do it. So I think this morning's lesson is extremely important, and I hope it it fills your heart with joy. Okay, first of all, what is love? Start off with a regular dictionary definition. Just go to Webster's, you'll get something like this. A profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm, personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent-child friend. So according to the dictionary, love is how you feel. But in the Bible, love isn't so much about how you feel. In the Bible, love is more about how or what you do. Love is a do word. It's a verb in the Bible. It's not a feeling. You can have love with feelings. You can have feelings that result in you doing something. But if you have just a feeling and you don't do, that's not love. But if you do and don't have the feelings, that is love. Love is more important about what you do, not about how you feel. I mean, think about it for a minute. If you've ever gotten a fight with somebody you love, at that moment, you're not feeling positive about them, right? But you still love them. That's why you make up. That's why they're still your family. That's why they're still your friends. You might have a friend for 50 years and gotten into 10 big fights. Why 10? Why not just one? Because you love them. And you hang in there, even though during that time, you don't like them. You can love somebody without liking them. You think when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was saying, oh, I love you guys. It feels so good. I feel so warm and fuzzy about everybody. He wasn't feeling good. But it's love that hung him to the cross and made him stay there. It can have feelings. It's not about the feelings, though. It's about what you do. Well, what is love? There's a chapter in the Bible, actually just verses 4 through 8, really, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that gives you God's perspective on what love is. Let me read it to you. I've condensed it a little, made it easier. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And it isn't proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, they asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? He said, love. Now you know exactly what love is. But I want to help you memorize it. And I've done this with you in the past, for those of you who have been with me for a few years. It'll be new for some of you. Hopefully you got the little handout where you can fill this out. If not, you can pick one up after church and fill it out later. Memorizing what love is. I changed a few words around to make it more memorable. For example, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. So we've got patience, envy, and kindness. I put them together as acrostic, as you can see on your screen there. Love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy. Love doesn't peck. In Galatians, there's a passage where Jesus says, or where Paul says, the summary of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. Then it says this, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So if you're loving people, you're not biting and devouring. You're not pecking at them. You know, I've had chickens before. You realize that they will peck each other to death, literally. And grown chickens will peck baby chickens to death. Some of them will peck eggs to death before they can even become chickens. So this idea, this word peck, to help us understand what love is, by contrast, is perfect. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't get all up and in your face and angry. Love is patient. Love is kind. And love does not envy. So verse 3, easy to memorize with the word peck. Next 4 says, Love doesn't brag. Love isn't arrogant, and love isn't self-edifying. It's not self-centered. It's not selfish. It gives us the word base. Base means lowly. It's the lowest behavior a human can have. But love isn't that way. Love is not base. It's not base because it doesn't brag. It's not arrogant, and it's not self-edifying. It's not about the self. Love isn't selfishness. It's selflessness. Love is about everybody else, where we don't put ourselves as number one we love everybody just as much as we love ourselves I'm not saying you got to think poorly of yourself but you got to think highly of others so if you love people you don't peck if you love people you don't behave in a base fashion and if you love people you don't act like a pig you're not easily provoked you don't behave inappropriately and you don't hold a grudge because love isn't that way If we held grudges, how many of us would still have friends? Think about it. Because you know your friend has done you wrong at least once. It's not because they're a bad person. It's because we're human. We can't help it. We screw up. We do bad things. That's who we are. Jesus will change that about us. But in the meantime, we do bad things. So if we hold a grudge, you know, your friends will quickly diminish and you'll be down to one. And that'll be you. And if you're anything like me, that friendship's not going to last long either. (laughs) Because have you ever let yourself down? Have you ever been ashamed of your own behavior? Yeah. So, man. (laughs) I've heard it said, the only way not to offend is to say nothing, to do nothing, and to be nothing. But you know that's going to offend somebody. You just laid down and died. That would tick somebody off. You just can't win. (laughs) Love isn't easily provoked, doesn't behave inappropriately, and doesn't hold a grudge. If you're loving, you don't peck, you don't behave in a base fashion, you don't act like a pig, and you're definitely not a brute because love believes all things. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth, and love endures. Believes all things, that means you think, Better of people. You give them the benefit of the doubt. That's all it means. You give people the benefit of the doubt. So and so did something wrong, that might be a fact. But why they did something wrong, you don't prejudge and assume bad motives. You give them the benefit of the doubt, always. You realize if we're patient and kind and not arrogant and not easily provoked and don't hold a grudge and give people the benefit of the doubt, People will be lining up to be your friend. You realize that, don't you? You have more friends than you know what to do with. Because that's how people need it. and That's how people want it. And love endures. That's the E in brute. That's why some people in our congregation are celebrating 40, 50, 60 years of marriage. Because love endures. You know, You can ask any of these people, you know, if you see an older couple holding hands, ask them how long they've been married. And when they tell you 40, 50, 60 years, ask them, has it always been perfect? Has there ever been a time you wanted to divorce him? Uh, Billy Graham's wife said, no, I never wanted to divorce him. Murder him, yes. Divorce him, no. (laughs) Because love endures. It hangs in through the hard times. (laughs) Murder, yes. (laughs) Love that woman. All right, so what's love? Love's being good to people. That's what it is. That's the number one thing in the Bible. Be good to people. Treat other people just like you wish they would treat you. In fact, Jesus said exactly that, and I quote, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the biblical law and the prophets. The whole Bible is summed up in this. Treat people like you want them to treat you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that's all the Bible's about. There's a lot more. There's details, for example, in how to do that. You know, the Bible says treat other people well. Well, Exactly how? So there's detail upon detail how to handle business transactions how to handle relationships with people older, how to handle relationships with people younger, how to handle relationships with your spiritual leaders, how to handle relationships with your secular leaders, how to handle relationships if you're the boss, how to handle relationships if you're not the boss. The Bible gives you all the data you need. But just to make it real simple, treat people like you want to be treated and you know it. Hard part isn't knowing it, hard part's doing it. But if you commit to it, you're there, that's what it takes So, we know what love is, and we know how to love people. Treat them just like you want to be treated. How do we love God? Now, this is a little different. If love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. Love doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, isn't self edifying. Love isn't easily provoked, doesn't behave inappropriately, doesn't hold a grudge. Love believes all things, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love endures. Now, I just did that to show you, if I can do it, you can do it. Go home and memorize that thing. That's what I did. I made it. I memorized it. You go home. Memorize that. Know what love is. It's the most important thing in the universe. Can you not memorize what it is? It's that important. So anyway, if that's what love is, how do you do that to God? It doesn't even apply. You can't be arrogant to God. Well, I guess you could. Can you be, does God provoke you? It doesn't seem to work so well with God as it does with people. I guess you could kind of work it out, but it seems to be more people-oriented than God-oriented, and yet the Bible says love God with all your heart. So how do you do that? What does God want from me? How can I show God that I love him? John 15, 10 through 13, here's what Jesus said. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you and I've laid my life down for you. That's how you're supposed to love each other. Wow, where do you draw the line? Is there a limit? There seems not to be. It's all giving. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. But the point I want to make is this. He says, if you obey my commands, loving God means we obey God. That's how we show we love God. We obey him. But the funny thing is, one of his greatest commands is love other people. So in obeying God, we're taking the love we have for God and pouring it out on his children. I think that's kind of of selfless of God. The number one way to love God is by loving people. That's not all. But it just goes to show you what kind of God we serve. He's so concerned about how we love one another. All right, so I've got about 10 verses here from the Old Testament that I want to read to you. And then we're going to look at four things within those 10 verses. Four things you can take home so you understand how to show God that you love Him. So when you leave here this morning, you will know how to show God you love Him. 1 Chronicles 16. Sing to the Lord. I'm in verses 23 through 36. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nation, The Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to Your holy name, that we may glory in Your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. In that lengthy passage I just read to you, four things jumped out. There's more, but I don't want to give you more. I want to make it simple and memorable. Four things that we can do to show God that we love him. Number one, praise him. Here's what it said again. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, Proclaim his salvation day after day. That's why we start off our services with worship, with praise. We ascribe to God greatness, and we sing about the awesome things he has done. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. You want to show God you love him? Praise him. Of course, you can do it on Sunday mornings. How about in your car on the way to work? I mean, those rock stations are awesome. I listen to them. But what about a little bit of praise music, too? Sometimes, you know, hit the other button. Sing some songs of praise. Be in your car at the red light singing songs about Jesus. Let the car next to you look at you and make you think you look silly. But be silly for Jesus. Or you can be silly for the other songs you sing, too. Oh, man, I heard this song on the radio this week. I don't speak your language, but your booty don't need no explaining. (laughs) What? What? I was just scanning through the stations, and I'm like, that's what we've come to? Are you kidding me? I laughed. I was offended. I was annoyed. That was the silliest, stupid thing I'd ever heard. Are you kidding me? That doesn't even make any sense. That's just pure ridiculousness. So if you're going to listen to that, turn on something that honors God and sing a little of that too. So how do we honor God? We praise him. And the New Testament says the same thing, Hebrews 13, 15. I can't believe I just shared those lyrics at church. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the New Testament says the same thing, Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. How do you show God you love him? Number one, you praise him. Number two, how do you show God you love him? You proclaim him. Verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. How do you declare God? I mean, some people will actually go out on a street corner with a microphone and just start preaching. Okay. That's certainly one way to do it. Usually those people don't say nice things, though, so I don't recommend their style. But you got to give them points for you know, guts and points for wanting to bring God to the nations. But how do we do that? How do you praise God before your friends? I don't know. Come up with your own way. Cool bumper sticker. <laughs> says Jesus is number one and drive it all around town. I'll tell you what I do. Every once in a while, I like to uh, post something on Facebook that brings honor to God. Yesterday morning, and I don't do it all the time because, you know, I've got Facebook friends that aren't religious, and it's not a platform for me to be preaching all the time. That's not what my Facebook page is for. I got a sermon. I can do that. I got TV and the radio. I can do that. But every once in a while, even to my, you know, non-believing friends, I'll put it out there. So yesterday, during worship, I'm sitting, I'm sitting right over there, and the song said something like this, the breath in my lungs is God's. The idea is that every breath we take, God deliberately gives to us. It's a gift from God. It's like, wow, I knew technically that God gave me life, but I never thought of it in that detail, that when I go like this, God just gave me a gift. And I do that every day, lots, as do you, constantly. Please don't think you're alive by automation. You're alive because God gives you breath. Did you know that both the Greek and Hebrew words for spirit is breath or wind? God has determined that you should breathe, and he gives you each and every breath you take. That's a loving, caring God. And I got excited about that. So I posted the lyrics to my Facebook page right then, right during worship. Boom. Proclaim his name. So how do we show God we love him? We praise him. How do we show God we we love him? We proclaim him. The New Testament says the same thing. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You realize that God's up in heaven, but we're not. He doesn't usually speak to people. We do. He has called us to be his spokespeople. That's our job. And if we don't do it, nobody will. Praise him, proclaim him, and worship him. Number three. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Worship Him. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Worship the Hebrew word and the concept for worship is service to God. The idea is, it's not just a moment where you're magnifying his name, but it's a whole lifestyle. You serve God. And one way you serve God is by bringing offerings. There's many other ways, but that is one of the key ways that people do it. That was from Chronicles. The New Testament says the same thing. We should worship God. Yet, a time is coming. I'm in John 4.23. A time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is seeking for something? Yeah, God is seeking for something. He's looking over all the earth for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I told you praise is number one and worship is number three. So there must be a difference between praise and worship. I went online to find a nice, concise statement to help us understand the difference between praise and worship, and I found it. So Let me just read to you from what I found. Praise is the joyful recounting of all that God has done for us. It's closely intertwined with thanksgiving, as we offer back to God appreciation for his mighty works on our behalf. Worship, however, comes from a different place within our spirits. Worship should be reserved for God alone. You can praise other people. Hey, man, great job. Or you're the best pl- basketball player I've ever met. Or I love your piece of work, your art. It's awesome. You did a good job cleaning the restrooms. You can praise people, but you can't praise uh, worship people. So you can praise God and worship God. You can praise people, but you can't worship people. Worship goes to God alone. Praise can be a part of worship, but worship goes beyond praise. Praise is easy. Worship is not Worship gets to the heart of who we are. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God, surrender every part of our lives to his control, adore him for who he is, not just what he's done. Worship is a lifestyle, not just an occasional activity. Jesus said the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Just as praise is intertwined with thanksgiving, worship is... Is intertwined with surrender. The physical acts often associated with worship, bowing, kneeling, lifting hands, help to create the necessary attitude of humility required for real worship. All right, we talked about love. I gave you a definition for what it is. And if we apply that to people, that's how we love people. But how do we love God? Four things, praise, proclaim, worship, and the fourth thing is to give thanks. Verse 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And of course, the New Testament says the same thing. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When these spiritual leaders who virtually had the Bible memorized and made a lifestyle of studying it, that's all they did. They studied it and they taught it. They studied it and they taught it. And they came to Jesus and said, what's the most important part of this whole thing? He said, easy. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's it. That's the summary and that's why I said at the beginning, I think it's the most important verse in the Bible. It tells you how to interpret the rest, and it's the most important aspect. It's where it all points. And the reason is because God is love. The Bible says that about him. Three words, God is love. You know, I told you love is selflessness. It's sacrificial. Remember I said that? Well, God proves it out. He sent his son to die as a sacrifice for our sins. Who would do that? Who would even give their own life to save a righteous person, let alone a sinner? Who would do that? Who would give their son to save a bunch of enemies? Because in the spiritual world, we're enemies to God. He's holy, we're not. He's righteous, we're not. He's good, we're not. He loves us, we don't love him. And yet, he sent his son to die for our sins. That's an example of love that can't be matched. But Jesus said, because I have loved you, love one another. By this, all men shall know you are my followers, my disciples, by your love one for another. And you know that most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God showing you love. He sent his son to die for you. And you can do something in response you can believe and receive. Bring Jesus into your heart. Make him the Lord of your life. Then praise him, proclaim him, worship him, and give him thanks. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for making it plain. We understand what the Bible's about. We understand what you want us to do in this life, how to treat people, and even how to treat you. We get it, but please help us to do it. Do a work within our hearts and in our spirits. And if that's your prayer too, then all of God's children said, amen.